0: I'd like to speak to you this morning from a little book, a little letter that's found in the New Testament just before Hebrews. The book is called Philemon. Philemon was a person, a man, an individual. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to him concerning a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. When Paul writes this letter, Paul writes it as a prisoner. He was a prisoner in Rome. They were a good distance apart. But Paul and Philemon had had a relationship that went back several years. In fact, I don't think it's any question as you read this letter that Philemon was converted, gospelly converted, under the preaching and labors of the Apostle Paul. Now, I want to read this letter to you this morning as we move along verse by verse, uh, because I think it's going to show you what real, true Christianity is all about. You know, being a disciple is a very important thing. To be a disciple slash Christian basically are synonymous terms. The word Christian is used three times in the Word of God. If you look at a strict definition of the word Christian as it's found in the Scriptures, you'll find it to be somewhat different than the loose interpretation or the loose definition of a Christian that's out here in the world today. To most people, the word Christian just simply means a believer that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There's someone who believes in God, believes that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and he lived about 2,000 years ago, and he suffered, and he bled, and he died upon the cross. He was put into the grave for three days. He was resurrected after the third day, and that's the extent of their Christianity. But Christianity is living a life that Christ would have us to live. Being a disciple means to set the feet of Jesus and to learn from Him, and we learn from the feet of Jesus like Mary did, when Jesus is in the home of Mary and Martha, we find where Martha was coming about with much serving; she was doing some important things, but Bible says Mary chose the good part, and the good part was to set the feet of Jesus and to learn from Him. So the question I like to ask myself and each one of you: Are you a disciple? Is it your desire to learn from the scriptures? Is it your desire to learn the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you willing to apply the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you willing to make changes in your life in harmony with the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, then you're not a disciple. A disciple looks to the master. The master in this case is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find Martha as a Wonderful example, an illustration of what I'm talking about. To have your name on the church roll is important. It's important to make a profession of faith, to unite with the Lord's church. Put your shoulder to the wheel. To identify with a band of baptized believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who are striving to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth become more and more like Jesus in their thinking, in their behavior, and in their actions. But that requires effort on your part. It requires being given to prayer. It requires taking enough time on a daily basis to read the scripture. It certainly requires you to be in the house of God on a regular basis, not to forsake the assembly of yourselves together to present your body a living sacrifice, whole acceptance of God, which is your reasonable service. It requires a seriousness, a sincerity on the part of each one of us to sit at the feet of the master once again. And the way we do that is what we're doing here this morning. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is the master, but I'm trying to represent him through his written word. And then we're to take what we learn and we're to make application as we do this over time. People see more and more of Christ in us. That's what we are wanting, I trust, to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. That people, when they see you, they see the characteristics that Jesus Christ displayed during his earthly life and earthly ministry here on this earth. You're going to find out that Philemon is such a character here. Now, Paul opens this up by saying, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. Now, Paul says he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He'll say that again in, uh, a little bit later on, I think in verse 9. Now, to be a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be a prisoner of hope. In Zechariah 9.12, We find where the writer tells us to turn ye to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope. To be a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be a free prisoner. You might say, well, I don't understand that, Brother Lawrence. How can you be free and a prisoner at the same time? Because apart from the work of Christ, you were in bondage to the law of sin and death. You were a prisoner to that. And we read in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4 and verse 8, where Paul says Psalm 68 and 18 was fulfilled. He says, he, that is, Jesus Christ, led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. We were in captivity to the bondage of sin, to the bondage of death. But the Lord Jesus Christ came, and through his person, through his work, he delivered us. He led captivity captive. He made us free from the law of sin and death, as I mentioned in my earlier statements here from Galatians 5.1 this morning. But now we're in captivity to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's a good thing. To be a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be a prisoner of hope. Hope is a wonderful word, a wonderful subject in the Word of God, When properly understood. Hope is not a wish. Hope is based upon the sincere expectation of the fulfillment of the promises of God. Titus 1-2, for example, in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world begin. You can have people tell you that if you don't have anything more than hope, you don't have anything. I tell you if you've got hope, you've got the greatest thing that there is. Because if you have hope, the earnest expectation within your heart and soul that you're one of the Lord's children, He belongs to you and you belong to Him, and one day you're going to leave the mess that we're in in this world and go home to be with the Lord in glory, you have the greatest thing you could have here in this world. Look at Romans eight twenty four. Paul says, for we're saved by hope. I'd say that's pretty important, wouldn't you? For we're saved by hope. But that which is seen is not hope. For if we hope for that which we see not, why do we yet hope for it, you see? But if we uh, we hope for that which is seen, rather. But if we hope for that which is seen not, then we do with patience wait for it. We're waiting for something with patience that the natural eye cannot see. Hope is based upon what you cannot see. That is with a natural eye, but you see it with a spiritual eye. You see it with the eye of faith. So we are prisoners of hope, and I'm thankful for that. And Paul was thankful to be a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not want to be free from that. <laughs> he was happy to be a prisoner. He used that term several times. He used it when he wrote to the Ephesian brother. If you look in Ephesians 3.1, he opens that chapter saying, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord for you Gentiles. Chapter 4, verse 1 starts off like this. He says, "Um, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord. He says that we are to uh, make a profession of our faith, you know, as prisoners of the Lord. You are a prisoner of the Lord. You are a prisoner of hope, and that's all a good thing. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, his righteousness, if you please. So Paul begins this letter out by identifying himself as Paul, a prisoner of the Lord. And that's a good thing. And he also includes Timothy in this. And he addresses it to Philemon, our dearly beloved, and fellow laborer. Now you're going to find the word fellow used three times in this little short letter. You're going to find fellow laborer, fellow prisoner, and fellow soldier. The word fellow by itself means to have in common. I've illustrated to you in times past. Uh, fellowship, for example, which we usually stress pretty heavily, and we should. Fellowship is like fellows in a ship. And In biblical days, the type of ship I'm talking about uh, had men in that ship who was going from point A to point B, and they recognized the importance of unity and harmony and togetherness. Working together, not against each other, but with each other and working together. That's what a fellow laborer is. That's what a fellow soldier is teaching me that we're in a warfare here. And we're also fellow prisoners. We're prisoners of the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning, once again, that we are a prisoner of hope. Look at the last verse of Psalms 31. He says, Be of good courage, and God shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope, In the Lord. So, where is your hope? Where's my hope? Is it in the Lord? Is it in Congress? I sure hope not. Is it in a political party? I I, I sure hope not. Uh, Is it in the leaders of this country? I I sure hope not. Uh, Our hope is to be in the Lord. A contrast to this is found in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17. In verse 5, he says, Cursed is the man that trusteth in man, that maketh his arm an arm of flesh. He says, that man is cursed. But in verse 7, he gives a contrast. But blesses the man that trusteth in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is. So I think the question is, who are you trusting in? Where is your hope? Are you trusting in man? If you are, Jeremiah says, you're cursed. <laughs> but if you're trusting in the Lord, Jeremiah says, you're blessed. And so, the Lord will strengthen our heart. We'll be of good courage unto those who hope in the Lord. Paul writes this, says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He addresses this to Philemon, who is a fellow laborer and beloved. I love the expression, beloved. That's one of Paul's favorite expressions that he uses in all of his letters, to the church letters, to his ministerial letters. He expresses himself to those he's writing to for them being his beloved. That's an expression that God gave for His Son, right? When He was baptized. The Spirit of God descended from heaven by the form and shape of a dove, and a voice rang out from heaven. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. On the mountain of transfiguration, the same thing. This is my beloved Son. Hear ye Him. It's, It's what the word David means. The word David, named David, means beloved, as a picture and type of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not the only one He addressed this to. He said, to our brother... Our beloved, excuse me, to our beloved Apatha. and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Now, it's generally believed that Apatha was the wife of Philemon. And then we know by studying the fourth chapter of the book of Colossians, that Archippus, being a fellow soldier, was perhaps an office holder in the church at Colossae. And then to the church in thy house. Now, Philemon was a man of means. Philemon was a wealthy individual. But he used his wealth to help the Lord's people, to further the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Generally speaking, historically speaking, this is a fact. As you study church history, you study it from the scriptures, and you study it by the history of men, you'll find that the majority of the true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ were poor people. But there were a few means along the way that God used and used him as great blessings for the Lord's children. Joseph Arimathea was a very rich man. God used a rich man to take care of the burial of his son. We find here at Philemon is a man of wealth. And he's going to use that wealth in a God-honoring manner, in a God-honoring way. I've always believed and I've always preached and I intend to continue to do it this way. Uh, if you use what God has given you in the right way, God will give it back to you so you can continue to use it. I believe that applies to us as individuals and applies to us as a church body right here. If we use the funds that's brought in here as good stewards of what God has blessed us with, and we use it appropriately, God will continue to put the minds and the hearts of God's people, His people, to continue to do that so we can continue to do that collectively as a church body. He'll do that for you. He'll do that for me as an individual. Uh, the old saying is, you can't out and give the Lord. If you understand it properly, that is certainly a true statement. The Lord, my friends, rewards those who diligently seek him. Now, he's writing to several different people. These names mean something. I, I love the study of names. All right, Paul means little. In contrast to when he first came to our attention, he was known as Saul. and Saul means dedicated one. And nobody was more dedicated to destroying the church than Saul of Tarsus was. But after his Damascus Road experience a little later on, his name got changed from Saul to Paul. And Paul means little. God knows how to bring a man down from the heights of pride down to being little in his own self, doesn't he? That's what his name means. The word Philemon means friendly. It means affectionate. We see the name of the lady here. Her, she calls her beloved, but her name means fruitful. The word Onismus means profitable. And Archippus means a master of horses, and he, as we state his life in Colossians, was a dedicated disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what we got here is this. Brother Little is writing to Brother Friendly concerning Brother Profitable and also embraces Sister Fruitful along with brother disciple. That's what we got here in this little letter of Philemon. And then to the church in their house. In biblical days, the Lord's church didn't meet in buildings like this. The Lord's church didn't have meeting houses like we have here. The Lord's church met in individual homes. But somebody had to have a house big enough for the people to congregate, and oftentimes the means to, you know, take care of them when they would come together. We find this happened with uh, Priscilla and Aquila. They had a church in their house. They were two dedicated people, husband and wife, they had the church in their house. In times past, on more than one occasion, I have preached in people's houses. I've preached in people's houses who were interested in trying to constitute a church, perhaps later on down the road in a certain area. i preached in uh, buildings like Ruatan clubs and places like this uh, where they were holding services, didn't have a building, didn't have any property, but they wanted to have a church. And they had a church because the building is not the church. It's the meeting house. This is the meeting house of Bethel Primitive Baptist Church. You, the people, are the church. People used to have services in their homes, especially the elder and widows. They'd uh, ask the pastor, Uh, to come, whoever could come into their house and and hold a worship service and there would be singing and prayer and and preaching. I've preached in in houses like that numerous times in years past. Hadn't happened recently but I know by experience what it means and you'd have just as good a meeting in somebody's living room and den as you can here in this building. You can worship God in spirit and in truth the way the Lord designed the church, set up the church in simplicity. You can worship the Lord under a brush arbor. You can worship the Lord under a shelter, under a carport, in the backyard under a shade tree. I like going to this one church over in North Carolina in the summertime. Uh, They have beautiful oak trees all out in the yard, and they have a stand out there, a a gazebo out there, and they put out folding chairs under the big oak trees out there, and we worship God on Sunday mornings, weather permitting, out there, uh, you know, uh, it, by, in nature, so to speak. It's just, it's just a wonderful and beautiful setting. So the church was in the house of Philemon. We learn a little bit, first of all, about Philemon before we learn a little bit about Onesimus. This is the kind of man that Philemon was. He was a man of means. The church met in his house. Paul calls him Belevin, and Paul calls him a fellow laborer. Now, Verse 3 says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very common way that Paul opened up all his letters. This is a common salutation of the Apostle Paul when he wrote his letters to the different churches and to the different ministers. Now there's one difference to ministers. Here it says here, grace to you and peace from God our Father. When he wrote to Timothy, in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, when he wrote to Titus, he had a third word. You know what that word was? It's grace and mercy, uh, grace and peace here. Well, the third word is what I just told—just mercy. <laughs> Instead of grace and peace, like he wrote to the churches, when he wrote to the ministry, it's grace, mercy, and peace. He added mercy for the preachers. <laughs> See, when Paul—well, I'll get to this uh, this thought in a minute. But anyway, um, Paul thought preachers needed a little extra. Paul thought the preachers needed some mercy to go along with the the grace and peace, and I'm glad he put it in there. He said, I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers. This is also common with Paul. You can read in several of his epistles, in the church at Ephesus, the church at Philippi, the church at 1 Thessalonians. You can find there where Paul said, I thank God always making mention of you in my prayers. Paul prayed for a lot of people. Paul prayed for all the churches. Paul prayed for individuals. Paul prayed for himself. Paul was a praying man. He had a lot of people to pray for. And he says, I fail not to mention you always in my prayers. That word always is a pretty uh, big word, isn't it? When you start using the word always, uh, that speaks a lot, doesn't it? I always do this. You know, that's what the Pharisees said when he prayed uh, in contrast to the publican. Always fast, I always give tithes, et cetera, et cetera. Really? That publican, he didn't make such claims as that. He just smote himself on the breast, said, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner." So we find here, Paul, in his usual style, in his usual way, addresses this individual with mercy and peace, excuse me, grace and peace, saying, I make mention of thee always in my prayers. Hearing, now, listen to some of the description of this man, Philemon. Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast had toward the Lord Jesus Christ and toward all saints expression, all saints, that the communication of our faith may become effectual by acknowledging every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. When you read that expression, bowels, in the New Testament, it has reference to the inward affections. I'm talking about to the, to the greatest extent, the great passion and feeling that you have inwardly, spiritually speaking, in your heart, in your soul. That's what it means. If you look in Colossians 3.12, here's what Paul says to the elect of God. Notice this. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the elect of God. He says, as the elect of God, put on bowels of mercies. He says, you need to be of a merciful nature. Just like the Lord said, Blessed are are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Put on therefore as the elect of God. God's family is identified in the scripture as his elect. As a people he chose in Christ, he elected before the foundation of the world. Paul says, put on therefore as the elect of God. Paul knew it would be a waste of time to tell the non-elect to do this. They don't have mercy to begin with. But the elect of God should be Uh, should be appreciative of mercy because they're the recipients of God's mercy, you see. So therefore, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, bowels of mercies. He says, Philemon, you have refreshed the bowels of the saints. Recap, summary right here. He brings to our chest's man Philemon, as being beloved, a feller laborer, He speaks of his love, he speaks of his faith, he speaks of his hospitality, and he speaks of his generosity. That's what living a Christian life is all about, you see. We're looking at a true, genuine Christian here by the name of Philemon. Philemon is practicing what he hears preached. Philemon is putting into practice the things he was taught in the beginning by Paul himself. He's living the Christian life. He's sharing the wealth that God has given unto him with the saints of God. And I love that word refreshed. You'll find it again in this letter before we get through here, that word refreshed. Do you feel refreshed this morning already? Do you feel more refreshed now than you did before you got here? I do. I, I felt okay when I got here. I'm feeling pretty good right now. I, I, I'm feeling better right now because I see you. I've seen you. I've shook hands with most of you. You're giving me your good undivided attention. I always appreciate that. I see a smile or two. I see a nod of a head every now and then. Uh, you know, uh, the heads that were down are now up. And so you're refreshing my heart. And you're refreshing my soul. He says, Philemon, you refresh the bowels of many of the saints of God. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ, to enjoy thee that, that which is convenient, yet for love's sake. Now let's notice this expression. For love's sake, I rather beseech thee. Love for who, Paul? What aspect of love are we talking about here? He doesn't say. Was it Paul's love for Philemon? Is it Philemon's love for Paul? Was it Philemon's love for the saints? Was it Paul's love for God? God's love for Paul? The love for the saints should have one to another? what love we're talking about Paul you know Jesus said in John 6 excuse me John 13 and 35 he said by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another was it that love was it Paul's personal love we read over here in Galatians 2 20 for I'm crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ liveth in me in the life I now live I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that the love that's under consideration? First John 4.19. John says we love him because he first loved us. Maybe that's the love under consideration. First John 3.16. And this is the love of God. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That we might live with him. Is that the love he's talking about? Is it the love where God so loved the world that of the world of His children, His family, the elect of God? He gave His only begotten Son that sacrificial love. Maybe it's that love. See, all these aspects of love I just mentioned would not even exist if it were not for the original love of God. Is it the love that God had for the elect in the very beginning? Let's look at Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to him who love the Lord. Is that the love? The love we have for the Lord, who are the called according to His purpose, or is the love the Lord had for us. If the Lord has a love for us, we should have a love for the Lord. The Lord said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Maybe it's that love. If we love the Lord, we should love one another. And again, in 1 John chapter 4, Paul says this, Here in His love, not that we loved Him. That's not the definition of love. That's an consideration. Here in His love, not that we loved Him, but that He loved us. He gave His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the satisfaction for our sins. That's what love is all about. Jesus Christ Himself being the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins. He paid the ransom price. He paid the sin debt. He paid what we couldn't pay. He did what we couldn't do. You got all your T's crossed this morning? You got all your I's dotted this morning? got everything in order? <laughs> Are you ready to present yourself before God, before the throne of God in the end of time and say, Lord, I'm here, I'm ready, just take inventory. Are you there? I don't think so. I'm not. I'm not looking for justice, my friends. I'm looking for mercy all the way from beginning to end. I'm looking for grace. I'm looking for mercy. I'm looking for the fulfillment, the everlasting covenant of God. That's what I'm looking for. So he speaks about for love's sake. Whoa, what a big subject that is. Ephesians two four. But God, who's rich in mercy, for His me, great love wherewith He loved us, we were dead in trespasses and sin. That's a big subject, isn't it? I say the answer to that question I ask is all of the above. All of the above. Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul, the aged. That's interesting. And now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, Paul the aged. This letter is written about 30 years from the time we're first introduced to Paul as Saul of Tarsus, back in Acts 7. When Stephen is being stoned to death, it says the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. He's called there a young man. Luke says he's a young man in Acts 7. Paul says, I'm aged over here (laughs) when he writes to Philemon about 30 years down the road. You know the moral of that story? 30 years in the ministry will make you aged. That's the moral of that story. Now, I'm in my 50th year, and I'm I'm, I'm an exception to that. Uh, I'm in my 50th year. So I've passed through the 30 deal and the 40 year deal, and now I'm in year number 50, by the way. This is my 50th year in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know you weren't old enough for that, but it's the truth. Whether I look like it or not, it's the truth. I'd ordained July the 3rd, by the way, today, 1973, 49 years ago. So I guess I'm starting into year number 50. Paul the aged. Now, we're going to shift gears here. Verse 10. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Onesimus was a slave. Paul calls him a son. Onesimus had left Philemon, had departed Philemon, Now when a slave departed, when a slave left on his own, without the support of the master, he was reported and he was put on the watch list, you might say. If that slave was found, there could be grave consequences for that slave for leaving. It's estimated there was about 600,000 slaves in the Roman Empire in the day that I'm talking about. A slave was sold for 50 denarii, 500 denarii, which is the equivalent of a day's wages. If he was exceptional, had skills, he can go as high as 50,000. But he was property. That was the culture of the world of the day I'm talking about. Onesimus was a slave, and he left, he departed from his owner, And he comes into contact with Paul, which I believe all this is a picture of the providence of God. And apparently as we read through this, when he came under the watch care of the Apostle Paul, he experienced a gospel conversion under Paul's teaching and Paul's preaching. Something happened to the heart of this man after he left Philemon. And when he got to where Paul was and met Paul, His heart had been changed and the gospel that Paul preached affected his heart, had an impact on his heart, had an impact on his life. So Paul now calls him a son. He lives a slave, he comes back a son in a manifest way. I beseech thee, the word beseech means to beg. I beg thee for my son Onesimus whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. That expression, time past, means you had a past in time. <laughs> Look at Ephesians 2 2. Wherefore, in times past, you walked according to the course of this world. We all have a past, and we all have a present. Now, if you're interested in revealing all your past on a screen up here, we can make arrangements. We can make arrangements with that if you want to. If you all, just let me know after church if you want to put on display, you know, uh, on a screen up here, your past, I'll, I'll set it up. But I'm not volunteering. We've all got a past, and we've all got a present. Onesimus had a past, and he was a slave. He's got a present. His status has changed. The Lord has done a work of grace in his heart. He's been blessed to come under the watch care of the apostle Paul who was taking taken him under his wing and ministered unto him and preached the gospel unto him and became a gospel convert. That's what the word begotten in this text is talking about. He says, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is, in my, receive him, that is, my own bowels. He says, I'm asking you to receive him as if you were receiving me. Keep that in mind whom I would have retained with me, that is, in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind I would do nothing, that thy benefit should not be, as it were, of necessity, but willingly. In other words, Paul, by being an apostle to the Gentiles, could have, on his, the base of his authority, commanded Philemon to receive him back. But he didn't do that. He said, I want this thing to be done Willingly. Not from a legislative point of view. I want this to be done not out of necessity. I want this to be done willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that now should receive him forever. See the dumb contrast here? Season? Forever? This life here, I believe, is just a season we go through before we get to heaven where we'll experience eternity. In the last few verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, For though the outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction is but for a moment, yet it worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. Your perspective, your outlook on the things of this life make all the difference in you being happy or you being sad. You being all down in the muddy grubs or whether you're riding on top of the mountain. Our light affliction. The apostle Paul saying his afflictions were light. Go read about all of his afflictions. How he had 295 stripes on his back. How he was shipwrecked. How he was stoned. How he was beaten. All the perils that he went through. He says our light affliction is but for a moment a season. Yet it worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory, while we look not on the things which are seen, which are temporal, temporary, but rather that which is eternal. Over in Romans 8 14 to 8 to 18, Paul says here concerning the work of the Spirit in our hearts, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you've not received the Spirit of fear. Again, under bondage, but the spirit of adoption, while you cry, Abba, Father. He says, For then, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, your sons of God, children of God, heirs of God, and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then verse 18, For I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Season, eternity. Temporal, Eternal. He says he departed for a season, but when you receive him back, you receive him forever. See, in Christ Jesus, there's no such thing as bond or free, male or female, or Jew or Gentile. These are man made distinctions, you see. But in Christ Jesus, there's no such thing as that. No such thing as Jew and Gentile. No such thing as male and female. No such thing as bond or free. We're in Christ, we're all in Christ by the, same, by the same grace that was given us before time ever began. So here's what Paul says. Receive him forever. Not now as a servant. Oh, he went away a servant. When you receive him back, don't just receive him as a servant. Now you can receive him as a servant the standpoint he still has that responsibility. But above a servant. A brother beloved. What did Ananias call Saul of Tarsus? When the Lord told Ananias about Saul of Tarsus, how he was a praying man, how he was a chosen vessel unto me, and when finally Ananias and Saul of Tarsus met, what did did Ananias say? He said, Brother Saul. (laughs) Isn't that lovely? He called him Brother Saul. Before that, he saw him as an enemy of the church, and he was. But the Lord said, He's a chosen vessel unto me. The Lord said, Behold, he prayeth. And that and I said, Okay, that's good enough for me. If that's good enough for the Lord, it's good enough for me. Therefore, Brother Saul, he says, You receive him above a servant. You receive him as a brother. Beloved, especially to me, but much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, the word partner there means to have in common has to do with fellowship. Receive him as myself, if he hath wronged thee, or if thee ought put that on mine account. I Paul have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. Howbeit, I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self. Besides, now here's what Paul is saying. He says, "You receive him as myself." If Paul had returned to Philemon, Philemon received him with open arms. They loved one another. They had a bond between each other. He'd received him just like this. You know how you're received by God? The Lord receives you like he receives his son. He sees you as he sees his son. He sees you in the life of his son. He sees you in the work of his son. That's the only way God could ever receive us. God cannot receive us, my friends, apart from Christ. He receives us as he receives his son. In the book of 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, Paul said, For he hath become sin for us, and you know sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, which have the doctrine of imputation right here. And when Christ died on Calvary's cross, he took your sins and my sins, the sins of all the elect family of God, and he took them upon his own shoulders and his heart, my friends, to Calvary. And then the imputed, perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ was transferred to the elect of God. You're righteous, made righteous by imputation. Receive him as you receive me, he says. That's how God receives sinners. God receives sinners as he receives his son. That's why you read in Ephesians 1:6. You know, 4, 5, and 6, and Paul says, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children of Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his own will. He says, we have been accepted in the beloved, according as he hath accepted us in the beloved. He's accepted us in Jesus, not apart from Jesus, in Jesus. And Paul says, I wrote this letter with mine own hand. He says, this is not just words. This is not verbal. I'm putting it down on paper. When I come there, whatever he owes you, whatever how he wrongs you, I'll make it right. I'll make it straight. I'll pay the debt. I'll take care of it. That's what Jesus did. Do you understand the lesson here? That's the beauty of this little letter right here, the beauty of this epistle. The Lord Jesus Christ took our debt and paid it. Do you want to try to help him pay it? (laughs) Don't think so. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ paid our debt totally and completely. Salvation is not on the installment basis. Salvation is not on the down payment. Now the balance, later on down the road, brother, I'm telling you, Jesus Christ didn't make a down payment. He made the full payment. He said he would come in this world and do it, and he did it. Paul makes a promissory note right here. He said, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to pay it. Whatever he's wronged you, he said, put it on my account as if I had wronged you. You see that? Put that on mine account. Thank God Jesus Christ put my sins on his account. Oh, where would I be without that? I, Paul, have written him in my own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. He said, I'm an aged man. <laughs> he said, I'm an aged man, Philemon. He said, but this Onesimus came to me and he was converted under my preaching I receive him now as a beloved brother. If you go to Colossians 4 9, you'll find where it says that Onesimus was a beloved and faithful brother. That's what he was now. He says, now receive him as you receive me, and you'll do an old man a whole lot of good. (laughs) You refresh my heart. You refresh my bowels, You refresh my soul when you do that. I'm telling you, when you read from the beginning all the way up to here, what uh, option does Philemon have? How could he turn down the plea of this wonderful apostle? How could he do that? He didn't. He did exactly what Paul told him to do. And Paul is so confident about it. Listen to these words Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord, refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou will also do more than I say. He <laughs> won't just come up to what I ask. You'll go beyond that. You'll do more than I say. But withal prepare me also a lodging. For I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. The Apostle Paul was a prisoner in Rome. When we wrote this, he had confidence he was going to be released. When we got released, he was going to go to where Philemon was. And he was asking Philemon now to give him lodging. You know, I like to read about the hospitality and generosity of the saints of God. I've experienced it so much in my lifetime. People have been so good to me along life's journey. People have taken me in, given me the best they've had, provided me lodging, provided me meals. I won't forget, Me and Karen was out in California probably 10 years or more ago. And after the church meeting we were in, she and I were going to take a little trip up into Yosemite National Park be gone three or four days and I had a car already rented and set aside and brother John Ivy, he said you cancel that you cancel that car rental I got a Thunderbird convertible over here just for you <laughs> I said okay <laughs> you don't have to say anymore." more <laughs> And he gave me the keys, a beautiful light blue Thunderbird convertible. I think me and Karen thought we were something. (laughs) We thought we were something else. And we had the best time. Oh, we had a grand and glorious time riding down the road that top down like we was 18 years old. (laughs) That's just one little example of how the Lord's people have been to me. He said, Philemon, provide me some lodging. I'm going to come see you. There's an old disciple that I read about in Acts chapter 21, an old disciple who lodged Paul and them several days. And when Paul them, and them in that ship, that ship, uh, you know, crashed and splintered all up and destroyed, and they made it to the island. In Acts chapter 28, there was a disciple on that island called Publius, and he gave him lodging for three days. One of the greatest blessings in my life has been to have the Lord's people in my home, Karen and I home, and to enjoy their fellowship. And many of you here today have had those experiences. And those who I'm talking about now have reached a point in the age where you're just not able to do it like you once did it. And that's where the younger folks are missing out. The younger folks who have never had company come into your home and enjoy your hospitality, you're missing out on a great blessing of the Lord. We need to return to those days. I remember the days in reading in church history where there'd be big meetings. I'm not calling it a big meeting. I'm talking about a three-day meeting or something with people who come from all over the country, and people would take them into their homes and everything, and they didn't have motels back then to, to take care of people. And the men were sleeping in the barns and the ladies were sleeping in the house. And I remember one, one story where this man, uh, you a know, preacher, he slept in his clothes. Uh, that's what most of them did. They just slept in the clothes. And next morning, he couldn't find his tie. And so, anyway, uh, the tie got turned around to the back. He, couldn't, he thought he'd lost it, he didn't know where it was at. And so they got to church, they put him up to preach. <laughs> And he got got preaching, he got such fantastic liberty and freedom in preaching the gospel. He got through, somebody said, brother, I tell you one thing, the Lord blessed you. You were preaching coming and preaching going. (laughs) That's the kind of man Philemon was. Thank you so much this morning for your wonderful good attention.